Yankee Tree Service, call them today, 401-439-6028. The tree trimming experts from Lincoln, you can always find them online, yankeetreeservice.com. Tree removal since 2006, 24-7 emergency service available. It's Yankee Tree. Folks, I've dealt with them for years. Tree removal, stump grinding, tree pruning, also emergency service, and bucket truck service you can depend on on Yankee Tree Service. Call them today. Get a free quote, 401-439-6028. And remember, with Yankee Tree Service, they have the licensed arbitrist. They'll come out and they'll explain which tree maybe you want to get removed, maybe what tree you don't want to get removed. Tree pruning, also one of the best things you can do for your property and for your trees. It's Yankee Tree Service. Call them today. The tree trimming experts based out of Lincoln. Call them at 401-439-6028. Yankee Tree Service, 401-439-6028. Folks, you are listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, DePietro.com. It's time for our segment, Politics This Week. Joining us, he is the managing uh, editor for AnchorRising.com. It is Justin Katz. And Justin, I'd like to start off with, uh, obviously, there's a lot to talk about with this CD1 race, but specifically the fact that Aaron Ruggenberg, who initially announced that he would not be accepting any PAC money, and he certainly calls out and wants to do away with a lot of the PACs, he is now seemingly... Uh, has a PAC supporting him, and it is, in fact, his father-in-law and his mother that donated the money. Well, the one thing that's striking to me is how, how this cuts right to the kind of the Democrat hypocrisy on all of this. I mean, uh, Regenberg's coming out and saying, I've always opposed super PACs. Well, and now you're getting money, and, and that's a different thing. Uh, but the idea that I, I find it just very difficult to believe any of them actually care. Uh, progressives, Democrats, they care about campaign finance, about big money in politics when it helps somebody they don't like. And that, that's what we see here right now. I mean, arguably, arguably, it's it's less corrupt to get money from your, your family than a, a collection of, of special interests. But the reality is you, you can't you can't stop this. And so trying every time they try to put restraints on this kind of money, they just ensure that you have to be even more corrupt uh, because you, if you don't get the cash, you'll get it in a job somewhere down the line from a labor union or, or a lobbying firm or, or something. I mean, th that's the area where I really wish people would look more deeply into campaign finance rather than just kind of play this political football with it. And and what about what do you what do you think? Um, I mean, there are. There is a tension to it. This whole business, Justin, when you think about it, of the PACs, where it's really just a way around the you know the traditional campaign uh, amount that someone is tapped out on. The fact that instead of just his father-in-law and money, his mother, excuse me, uh, giving him the money, then they'd be tapped out. Instead, you just – it's a little more work, but you form a pack, and apparently the father-in-law's – donating 125000 But don't you think that this does illustrate and kind of frame the negative against him that he's just this trust fund uh, white kid that, that is able to uh, manipulate the system because of his money? Oh, sure. And that's that's another area where, you know, where progressives been. So many of their heroes, so many of the people supporting them are exactly these kinds of people. And it's, so it's, it's kind of funny to see it suddenly matter. You know, the Providence Journal article brown educated Aaron Regenberg, you know, just really emphasizing the elitism. This is who runs their party. I mean, the idea that this is new to them, it's only, it's only new to them now because they've, they've got some other people who are just, who are, who can win. And so they, they want to make this the issue. I mean, what, what really, I mean, what really irks me about the whole thing, uh, and it starts to get into this call for diversity and, and we should have, you know, we have four four members of our delegation to Washington. They're all white men. We need more diversity. Well, you know, 
all of these people, as far as I can tell, believe essentially the same things for, as, as far as politics are concerned. There's no diversity among the candidates in that respect. What they, what they, so we're, we're really down to these superficial issues. And that's where we get to this kind of attack on Regenberg, which is justified. We've been making this kind of point for years. I mean, where have these progressives been that they're just noticing this now? But that's, that's really what it's coming down to is they, they, they're all the same, so they can pick. They can pick which color they like better, basically, and so, so he's falling afoul of that. Outside of some of the progressives, though, John Marion of Common Cause, his quote: "This sort of behavior directly contradicts Supreme Court's premise, flawed Citizens United decision, unlimited outside money." So you do have Common Cause, and you do have the media is covering the story. So outside of the progressives, who have been silent on this for a period of time. My question is, do you think that this is going to impact uh, his candidacy, Regenberg, in the race? Does this hurt the campaign? Oh, I think it does. I mean, it, it hurts him on two fronts. One, the progressive front, which he's he's capitalized on before. But also, it starts to make him seem a little, you know, every time he gets somebody like Jan Mar John Marion, a common cause, it's this is not a good spotlight to have on you, right? His, it. it certainly diminishes his brand uh and i mean i i happen to disagree with with john Marion on a lot of this stuff i mean uh the the you can't control this money going into into pol politics it's the more you try to control as you've said the more you try to control it the more you ensure that that people with resources can beat it so if you if you prevent individual people from putting money in they'll they'll start a pack i mean it's a little bit of a, a hindrance but that's what they'll do if you make it even harder then they'll they'll find some other way to pay it to buy off a politician and so i think john marion's got it wrong but i do think uh this this does affect reaganberg's reaganberg's campaign because obviously it, you know it's bad it's bad press to be seen this way it, it's off brand he seems almost kind of pathetic when when he's out there and no, well, he's, he's got his opposition saying, we, we see you now. You're a trust fund, as you said, you're a rich white kid, privileged, co-splaying a man of the people. And then he comes out and says, who I am is the son of a single mother and grandchild of Holocaust survivors. Well, you know, that just kind of seems like a talking point at this point. And so I think his campaign sees the, the danger here, and I think they're the right to. Folks, again, our segment is politics this week. With us is Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com. Justin, let's go to the other point. And you were kind of um, going back and forth a little bit with some some folks on social media, this business of, you know, let's face it, if he does, Ruggenberg does win this primary, wins the race. So he's another white male joining in Washington with Congressman uh, Seth Magaziner, wealthy white male, Ivy League school uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, wealthy white male from privileged background. And then you do have Senator Jack Reed that came up, but again, nonetheless, a white male. But um, touch on, I think it's interesting you threw out, all right, so if we want some diversity, then really shouldn't we have a Republican involved in that? Right. Well, exactly. I mean, it's it, it, it's a superficial idea that if, the, if we have different colored people or different gen sexes in the in the in our delegation, they'll they'll behave differently. No, they all think exactly the same, and that's really the point. If if we care about diversity, we should be caring about having some political diversity, especially given the fact that it's there are two parties in Washington, and you, it's helpful to have one in the other party at least. And so I, I think that point is hugely missed, and was particularly disappointing about this this kind of cult. It's it really is like a cultish kind of. Uh, idea that's taken over over politics. I mean, a lot of this came from Wendy Schiller, who's a Brown University professor in politics, uh, filtered through the Boston Globe, which is a major news source for Rhode Islanders at this point, and just saying having four white males uh, in 2023 seems disconnected to me. Well, why does that, why is that the issue? Having, I mean, to me, having four progressive left Democrats, and Jack Reed has now slipped into that, although he was the exception for a while, having four of them in Congress is not helpful. That's the disconnect. There's no way Rhode Islanders are completely unified as the delegation is on all these issues. There's no way uh, there aren't enough people who would support Republicans. And not only that, but there are there are plenty of people who would, who would like to split it just because that smart, smart governance to have a split delegation. And so I think the, the focus here in some ways is being driven by these elite 
and it, it's representative of how progressives work. We've got the elite kind of academics and uh, folks out there saying we need uh, color, skin color diversity. And then you've got it coming from the bottom up of the, the minority uh, folks who, who want to take advantage of it for their own campaigns and their own candidates. And I think that's it's really kind of makes, makes adds to the ickiness of politics, in my view. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Politics this week with Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com right here on the John DePietro Show. Get your driveway paved. J. Perry Paving. Letter J. J. Perry Paving. High quality, fair pricing, exceptional service, over 25 years experience, specialized commercial paving, residential paving, seal coating. Call for a free estimate today. 401 732 1730. J. Perry Paving. Hey, learn about the benefits of asphalt paving. Whether it's a brand new paving project or a cracked driveway, it's affordable, smooth, safe to drive on, aesthetically appealing. Asphalt can be recycled, reused. J. Perry Paving, a licensed and insured contracting company committed to meeting your needs. No matter how big, how small, contact them today for a free quote. 401 732-1730. What a difference it makes for your driveway, for your business, parking lot. J, letter J, J Perry Paving, 401-732-1730. Online at jperrypaving.com and look for them on Facebook. Our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. Justin, speaking of, let's stay with CD1 just for a moment. Uh, the Board of Elections has announced they're having an emergency meeting. I'd like to, uh, and, and also, Governor Sabina Matos has been out a little bit, has been doing some interviews. I found it interesting that, and it almost seemed acceptable, it shouldn't be, but she basically said, that she's not investigating what happened with her campaign. She said, like, why would I investigate? That's the job for, you know, the attorney general, for the fact that attorney general Peter Narona is investigating this. Gee, why would why would I be investigating this? That's number one. And number two, she continues to say that she has not spoken with the woman, Holly, that was at the center of the whole thing. I'd like to just hear your thoughts on Matos reaction I still don't think it's it's a normal reaction I think you'd you'd still want to I think learn from within your campaign uh you know what what happened here what broke down here and you would think you'd still try to be I would think try to be proactive to get some answers as to what exactly took place Right. Well, you, you would if, if you were really concerned about the way it had shaken down. I mean, even O.J. Simpson knew to say he was going to go in search of the real killer. Uh, so, right. I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of it's it's, eh, you know, what you would expect to hear is I don't uh, we're we were so embarrassed by this. It did so much damage to our campaign that we are making sure that we do not do this again. We are improving our systems. I've talked to every other person who collected signatures for us, and we're, we're putting in new controls to make sure this sort of thing never happens again. But, you know, Matos and a lot of these these candidates, they're just along for the ride, right? They, they think the system is set up and they play the role of the politician and it's somebody else's job to do the investigation. They're not really leaders. They're not really representatives. They've waited in line. They've climbed up the ladder a little bit and they think this, this is just their role. And so I think that, I think that's a lot of the attitude. It's this sort of, they, they know they don't really have to compete. They know they don't really have to be competent because somebody else is taking care of that. And I think a lot of that is is the legacy of mail ballots and ballot harvesting. You just, you, hey, I'm the one on the list. That's all I got to do is remain the one on the list. I don't even know who these people are who are collecting signatures. You know, that's sort of the impression you get. Uh, and and I think that it shows. I mean, it's starting to show through in this in this friction. And what about the Board of Elections, Justin? I, I think... I mean, they have been getting heat, and I think that's a positive thing. People have been critical of the fact that they essentially, you know, dropped the ball with this whole thing. And what, what do you – just the fact there does seem to be noise of people 
Um, and, and again, I'll say it's coming from the media common cause, but recognizing that the Board of Elections, you know, really whiffed and punted and dropped the ball when it came to stepping up as to what their their role and their actions should have been. Oh, certainly. I mean, and it's, it's nothing new. What's new, I think, is that they're being called on it. I mean, I right. almost have to feel sympathy for them. Like, hey, wait a second. We've this is we've done nothing differently than we've done for the last 30 years. Why is it now a problem? You almost feel for them in that respect. But, you know, I think one one important note is that the, the friction we're seeing here and Rhode Islanders really have to pay attention to this is what you get when you have actual competition of people who the insiders believe matter to them and that's what we're getting they're all they all have to be democrats these days but this is the kind of we get this kind of response from bureaucrats and agencies all the time if competition was real if right. say every now and then the republicans took control and, and would have the levers to to uh, you know help or arm these boards i mean that's we really need more of that kind of competition uh, but the the uh the in some respects, it's like they spoke the quiet part out loud of how the whole system is set up to, to kind of usher things along. Like, oh, we, we just, there was not enough time to really do an investigation. Well, that does not matter. <laughs> if there's not enough time, tie goes to good government, not not to corruption. I mean, that's how it ought to be. But that's, that. It, to me, it's it just feels so much like how Rhode Island government is, is set up from, you know, from legislative grants to, to all of the different ways that they make sure that the insiders always have a permanent advantage. We set it up so that you get your signatures in. There's not enough time to, to do an investigation. And so we, there we go. Boom. We, we just put her on the ballot and you, you kind of have to wonder if, if it were say Alan Waters, who, who, you know, speaking of wanting diversity is a minority, but he's been excluded from some of the debates among the Democrats, you know, the, but they, if you look at him, if he had the same issue, would he get the same treatment? Would the board of elections have said, uh, well, we don't have enough time. We're going to put him on the ballot. Or would they have said, oh, we don't have enough time. We just have to keep him off pending investigation. So you're off the ballot. I mean, I, that feels like the decision that was set up. The difference now is that it's the front runner, the per, probably the person who was expected to get the mantle for the, the mail ballot fraud, uh, Sabina Matos, who got jammed up on this thing. And that's why they took the other route and said, well, we don't have time. But now I think they're, they're being a little bit embarrassed by it because there is competition. And what about uh, your thoughts? Secretary of State Greg, he wants to introduce legislation that from now on it would automatically trigger an investigation i think is he's saying if something uh came out from the board of canvassers well i mean that's 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 well and good i mean i'm not sure i you know to me a lot of this as we've discussed before is is just kind of show where they're not really looking at the the important things i i don't think you're going to see this this error happen again um, because because I, I think you'll now that they've they've really been embarrassed by this you've got you're going to have a couple of decades where they they have their own internal controls um, so I I wish what they would do is say you know what this whole thing makes us all very nervous about um, about all of our election potential for election fraud and, and mail ballots and stuff I mean the, the signatures are not that big a deal it's just they I, I think they they take it candidates especially top tier candidates take it so unseriously that if they just got really sloppy and so you know controls are fine I I do worry that um, that we'll see you know see risks where, where all these regulations come in when they put these regulations in place uh in the heat of a, a political moment i i worry it can come back and burn outside folks who are just trying to get involved but you know, i guess it's better to do nothing i'm better to do something than nothing in some sense well, let's touch about that and i'm going to actually uh disagree when you say and i don't want to i want to make sure that you think it's it's a big deal about nothing about the signatures but I'll take the the course, Justin. That if they're willing to let's let's talk about what happened. Forge a dead person's signature just on uh you know a signature to get on a ballot. I don't. I, I view that as if they're willing to do that in that particular situation. What are they willing to do when it comes to mail ballots? What are they willing to do? When it comes to, you know, when it really matters, I've been comparing it to if they're willing to do that and that's fraud, assigning a dead person's signature is fraud, uh, forging people's signatures, that's fraud. I, I, I view it as if they're willing to do that, 
in what I would call like a preseason game, then what, which is, by the way, is notarized these signature sheets, then what are they willing to do in a real game? And when there's, you know, a potential real value, which would be for a ballot. So I, I view it a little differently. I don't view it as it's, it's not a big deal. I view it as it's insight to just how far this system can be manipulated um, and let alone, as we've talked about, the mail ballots are not even notarized. Oh, certainly. And uh, I, I mean, uh, it's possible I've missed something Amoria has said, but from what I've seen so far, he's talking about these signature sheets, which are kind of, you know, they're, they're a minor part of the system. I'll believe he's serious about clean elections when he says, hey, we've got no way, we could get a mail, mail ballot from a dead person and we have no way really to trace who it came from, right? Or, or there's just so much opportunity for fraud there that uh, that would be a real re real reform uh, to say we need some way to know who's turning in these mail ballots and who's collecting them. Uh, I think that would be a, a good step, and so I agree with you. But I, I just I don't I don't get the sense that we'll, we'll get any of that. I think we'll get a lot of uh, minor things, you know having to do with these signing sheets and, and it won't really make much difference except maybe make it a little bit harder for, okay. for you know, up and coming candidates. Now, before I tell you, but what, what is your thought on, now this is Democrat Secretary of State Greg Amore. He's the one who's mentioning there should be legislation and there should be something uh, in case, um, you know, to trigger an automatic. I mean, how, how do you feel that this is not coming from the Republicans at the Rhode Island State House, but instead it's coming from Secretary of State Democrat Greg Amore. Well, you know, <laughs> the Republicans are so so limited in their capacity. It's hard, you know, they can only say so much. But I think they do definitely need a better way to get these kind of messages out and get out there before uh, Amore, so that the, I mean, because if you're as cynical as I am about what Amore is doing and about how, how well Democrats will actually respond to mail ballot fraud, uh, it's it's all about PR, in which case, you know, it's definitely a sign to the Republicans. They've got to get out there in advance so that they at least the Democrats can't claim to be you know, running the good government when they're the ones uh, who are obviously in, in corrupt. So I, 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 on that point, I, I definitely agree with you that the yeah. Republicans need a better re response time. They, on these things. They, they have no response. I mean, that's what's got me, Justin. And, and I've, you know, obviously, listen, I've been very critical. Um, they haven't said anything. And I believe they, what they want to push for, in my mind, should be far more, uh, far more dr dramatic reform than whatever Secretary of State Amori is. Meaning, I think what they are pushing for should be so much more than what he wants in order to really try to move the scale. You know, this talk in a negotiation kind of, you you know, you want, just as an example, you want 10,000, but you ask for, you know, 15, and then the other person comes up and then you settle closer to where you want to be. But where, where I have been very critical is I don't hear anything. I, I don't even think, it's not even a matter of, in my opinion, it's not even like cleaning up their message. So far, they don't even have one. They haven't even said anything. So I, I and I've been very, I think this is an incredible missed opportunity by the Republicans at the State House because you and I see this stuff, but January, if they say, well, in January, we're going to introduce something, that's just such a long time away. Well, not only that, I mean, a, a lot, by that point, this, yeah, well, not, this narrative will have have gone away, but the Democrats will have structured it the way they want. I mean, what, what it, it sort of touches on, I believe it was last week where we discussed Jessica de la Cruz on, on newsmakers saying, yes. oh, I, I have to believe the, the elections I are fair. Have, I mean, I was elected. I have faith in the, in the system, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, what what they're really lacking is a, a, a strategic plan. I mean, yes. what they, they really, I mean, it, this ought to be, I mean, they could pick any number of issues, but to me, this is, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you agree, the mail ballot fraud is kind of the number one thing Absolutely. ought to be front and center number for the one. for the Republicans. Yeah. And so if that is your case, then it's very, very easy. The things we, you and I thought to 
to respond to right away. Well, okay, if these signatures are fraudulent on these signing sheets, then what about right. mail ballots? That ought to have been out there. That ought to be the main, everybody on board. We, whatever you say in your interviews, this has to be said. And That's then... And then when the Republicans put that statement out, and then Amari says, "Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna mess around with the signature sheets a little bit. Maybe you'll get the journalist who makes the point we're making, which is, well, hold on a sec. The signatures are well and good, but what about what this thing the Republicans are saying that we can't trust the mail ballot? Is that how? What do you, what's your thought on that? And at least make that part of the conversation and move that ball forward. So I think I think that's what we're seeing is there's just there's not this strategic plan for messaging and I, I think a lot of that has to do with a lack of, of coordination and unity in a, on a, a political party in the state that that really is is down to the down to the bone as far as as far as participants and, and organization you know Justin before we take a break you raise a good point you you pointed out uh, and we did discuss how all their talking points have to do with the you know MAGA Republicans, and that's the term they use. What we don't hear is, and you're right, in every statement the Rhode Island Republicans put out, they should be using the same talking points when it comes to this. But the problem that I find, and I, I fully get that it's August and it's summertime and they're not in session, but as I talked about, uh, and you have two, it's, it, it falls on two people, it really does. It's House Minority, in my mind, House Minority Leader Mike Chippendale. He's elected. He's the House Minority Leader. Um, and also State Senator Jessica De La Cruz. I give credit. Channel 12 gave them the platform. Channel 12 opened the door. Channel 12, they could have said, uh, you know, this isn't like a news package that then it gets edited out. This is a show she was on. To me, Justin, that was the moment. That was the real moment where they needed to speak up. Uh, and right now, Chippendale is still nowhere. I, I don't see, I believe it should be much more high profile. And as you say, talking points, there's nothing wrong with that. But in every time you're talking about it, the following information. So, folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Politics this week. Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. At Med Urgent Care, walk-in urgent care center, all your medical needs. They're open seven days a week, doctors and nurses. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center, 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. Again, they're open seven days a week. At Med Urgent Care, when you need urgent care without the wait now, when I've been in that situation and I needed urgent care, that's where I went. If you want to go to an emergency room and have a long wait, well, you're free to do that. Otherwise, do what I did. Go to At Med Urgent Care, whether it's work-related, maybe someone's not feeling well, someone needs stitches, whatever it may be. At Med Urgent Care, comprehensive outpatient urgent care facility. There's two locations, one near you, Johnston, right in the Atwood Medical Center, and also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich. That's right across from Felicia's. When you need, and I need urgent care, you want AtMed Urgent Care. Again, two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnston in the Atwood Medical Center, and 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich. Seven days a week, doctors and nurses, AtMed Urgent Care. Our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. Well, Justin, I, I don't recall whether or not we talked about it, but Rob Cody, who's a advocate in the city of Warwick, he went to um, – I'm glad that Channel 12 finally picked up on this. And I also um, – I'm glad that the ACLU did speak out in his favor, and I think even the uh, press organization Freedoms also sp spoke out about this. But it has to do with the fact – that he went to a Warwick City Council meeting and he he started to mention that the woman that happened to be running the meeting, Donna Travers, was on the front page of the Providence Journal. There's controversy over a piece of property that I think her and her husband. Um, and as, there's, as soon as he brought it up, within 45 seconds, he was escorted out of the meeting by the um, by the Warwick police and she had it removed. And I just want to hear your initial thoughts. And even there were attorneys that were there. There were other people on the council that were there. No one spoke up on behalf, on behalf of Rob Cody. 
Yeah, I mean, that's exactly the, the sort of thing. That's what's, what's kind of striking is, I mean, you have a, a police officer in, enforcing an obvious violation of First Amendment rights, in my view. You've got lawyers there, solicitors who should be speaking up and saying, uh, uh, Madam Travis, these we, we can't be doing this. You're, you're, pu- you're putting the council at risk of a lawsuit. Uh, and Rob Cody even kind of threw them the hint, you know, the ACLU is going to be involved in this. Uh, so it's the idea that nobody really stepped forward for the, it's really just an obvious violation. But what, what strikes me though, is, I mean, the, the ACLU every now and then when they get one of these really low hanging fruits from somebody who they would normally oppose because he's relatively conservative, uh, I, they have to take it. But I, I you know, I, I, I kind of worry the attitude will be, uh, so what a letter from the ACLU, what's needed are protests, you know, in, in Warwick, you need people going to the next meeting and all getting up and reading from the article. And you, I mean, that's the kind of stuff you need, but there's just no political organization behind it. I mean, this stuff, this stuff is just, and this is what you get when you don't have that, that capacity of, or that critical mass of people who actually care about good government. And I, I, I worry about that. Yes. And, and, and what about the fact, you know, um, how come you, how come you don't think we're not hearing anything from any of the leaders in Warwick. No one on the city council has said anything. The mayor hasn't said anything. So, you know, and again, I go to, as you and I both know, Warwick is a really important city when it comes to voting. And if you can carry Warwick and even Sabina Matos at her press briefing went out of her way to say, Oh, I, I love Warwick and uh, you know, carry that forward. But but um, wh- why don't you think I, I, I'm just at a loss as to why, as you say, wh- where is where's the organization and how come no one is, in fact, like orga- organizing this? I don't understand why in the city of Warwick that they just don't seem to be doing anything. Well, you know, now that you mention it, I mean, it doesn't even have to be Warwick. I mean, this is kind of emblematic of the whole Democrat insider system. I think this woman's been in that office for something like 30 years. And if you if you dig into the story, it sounds but I I gather the accusation is that she and her husband's kind of as as members of their homeowners association kind of transferred property from the Homeowners Association to themselves. And if you look at her, her husband's commentary on the matter in the news, he's, he says, oh, that, that woman who told you this is a no good person, that broad with a big mouth. I mean, there's a lot of red meat here for somebody yeah. who wants to who, who wants to go against this. And I think what, what you what, all I can think is that there's just so little real opposition in Rhode Island that anybody, everybody's kind of on the same side and they don't want to go if if you don't ask me, I'm not gonna t- I'm not gonna complain about Travis because then she'll get angry and I'll be in there crosshairs and who knows how much heft she has in our party. You know all that kind of stuff gets involved because there's no real opposition until you know as we were discussing before you get kind of in, inner fighting among progressives and then they they'll go after each other with knives. But uh, otherwise, it's everybody just puts their heads down. It has nothing to do with me. I don't want to get involved because I might burn myself by saying something bad about her, and it, that's that's a real shame. And I think that's that's what's what's scary is you'd think even on the state level there would be republicans or or others who who have that kind of okay here's something i can grab on to um makes me think of um kind of blanking on his name he's running for president vivek ramasheki or something like oh, that yeah uh, yeah he i mean vivek he's, he's yes. yeah he's 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 going and running against Donald Trump, but he's jumping all over every issue. He's traveling the country yeah. <laughs> to, to say, we need to check into this. We need to stop this. We need to do that. Really? We need good government. You could do that in Rhode Island much, much more easily. And so, the, I mean, it's not just a Warwick thing. And it's, that's what's, what's kind of scary is, I mean, even I'm surprised at how little little response these kind of things are getting from from anybody i mean it's it's right. almost it's almost like you you can almost figure channel 12 and others are, are are paying attention just because there's this huge empty spot that uh others could once might have filled whether they're on you know you know in online or or on talk radio shows or whatever but uh, i mean as as far as i know a, a lot of the stuff gets covered by you and me and that's about it and i think that's a real that's a real red flag that Rhode Islanders ought to take seriously. They, they, we need more opposition in, in government in Rhode Island. I, I agree. And on top of that, um, you know, I know him, but like the 
chairman of the Rhode Island Republican Party, Joe Powers. So he issued a statement on President Trump and the latest indictment. But to me, that, that I mean, I don't, and I would tell him this, that that's a waste. Like, you don't have to release a statement on that. Like, you know, release the statement on what's happening in Warwick. And to me, you can't release enough statements about what's going on with the CD1 race and the investigation and how this should work. And I, I mean, again, I'm not trying to sound like a broken record, but it, it's just there's, there's few times you get this type of opportunity. To me, the loudest voices in the most dramatic calls for change should be coming from the Rhode Island Republican Party. I, I would want it where the Democrats are saying, that is an outrageous request, and we can't do that, and that's outrageous. Like, at least then, you're kind of moving the needle a little bit. Right now, I, I just, I'm at a loss for the silence. Now, Justin, I did want to also, and again, folks, our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com. I also, I did want to get your um, thought on, and I sent it to you, and I missed it, but Bob Walsh was on Lively Experiment. For whatever reason, he's no longer been part of the union but he actually made it seem <laughs> that um, bob walsh former head of nea rhode island and basically a socialist but still still obviously a lot of power still obviously has juice even though he's he's no longer with them they have him as a guest but he was trying to frame it that lieutenant governor sabina matos was actually um bullied at her press briefing <laughs> because of the type of questions. And he uses that to say traditional media couldn't even get their questions in. Well, as someone who was there, and I'm pretty confident that Walsh was referencing me, um, <laughs> the traditional media, Tim White didn't, wasn't there. It was a Friday night at 6 o'clock. Uh, Kat wasn't there. And what also is completely false is this business of, quote, the traditional media couldn't get their questions in. The Matos people said, we're going to stand here and answer as many questions, like they wanted to take the approaches, like any questions you have, we're not going anywhere, we're gonna stay there and answer the questions. So even that was false. But what do you make of Walsh with his whole thing of that she was being bullied at this press briefing? Well, you know, that's the play they'll make, right? I mean, they're happy to bully. I mean, Bob Walsh and his, his crony at the time, Pat Crowley, they're yeah. happy to go. And, and I, I was a Susianke when she was on a local board, uh, or something, I think it was somebody else. Happy to go to a, a local meeting in, oh, in that was, costume. Right. That was East Greenwich uh, Town Council. Yep. And yeah, did the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, they're happy to go there, make a lot of noise, scream at people, make them walk through gauntlets, intimidate. Um, you know, they're, they're happy to do all that. Bullying is, is their stock and trade. So, I mean, it, it's like cro it's crocodile tears on that front. And as the idea that the traditional media couldn't, we, we actually discussed how they had no questions, and that was shocking in itself. I mean, they, they didn't they didn't jostle for anything. They, at the very end, I, I think it ended with with you still asking questions and Matto yes. saying, "Well, does does anybody else have any questions?" No. Okay, we're done. And so it's it's not like they didn't have opportunities. It's not like she didn't say, "Hey, please, somebody on my side, ask some questions." Uh, but so it's it's you know it's it's such a show, which is why the, I mean to me that that whole show is pretty useless and, and he's a good example of it why what's what's the point of having him on like a regular he's he's practically a co-host as far as i can tell i uh, and it's just the the idea that he's gonna have anything that isn't pure spin for for his particular political interests is is ludicrous justin finally um i'm curious there was the article i sent where they say it may look like more people are cheating but the reality is people have been cheating all along we're just catching them more and it's campaign find finance violations and um what, what i find interesting about that statement is so they're willing to be very aggressive on campaign finance violations but i i agree with to me the number one issue is the ballot harvesting and I think I've been very consistent, Justin, on all I'm asking is for Rhode Island to be in line with Massachusetts and Connecticut that don't allow one person to touch more than 10 ballots. That's all you can touch is 10 ballots because it would peop put people like that Holly out of business where they can get paid for collecting 100 ballots, 500 ballots, 1,000 ballots. Um, but just I find it interesting, the thought they're very aggressive on campaign finance. 
But why aren't they more aggressive when it comes to the voting? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think I think this is a good this is a good issue to kind of put a spotlight on this because what what they're talking about is that they're they're getting more. It's unfair. That was John Marion saying that um, of Common Cause saying if, if we're catching more people cheating because they were cheating, it's unfair to say it's cheating. Most of these fines, and Richard Thornton of the Campaign Finance said this in the same article, uh, most of these fines are just errors. I mean, some of them are rather substantial, like uh, Elaine Morgan, a Republican senator, used the wrong card to pay for something. That was right. a pretty big fine. But but a, a large portion of this is people who they're late on a filing report they forgot they had to file because they ran for office two years ago, and they, they get a fine for 20 bucks, and it goes up $2 a day, or maybe it's 25 and $2 a day until they pay it. And so, I mean, I've been to Board of Elections meetings where people are, are saying, look, I've, I've got this fine for $800 I didn't even know about. I just finally got something in the mail. I missed it somehow. You know, that, I moved. You know, all these, that's what really is happening. And I, so I, I think it's very emblematic because one, a very telling part of that, Richard Thornton said the, the number of those kind of nuisance fines of people who late with their reports and is going down. And I wonder if that's because fewer people are bothering to run for exactly this reason. We've, we've created these regulations that go after silly stuff, like whether you filed a report on a campaign uh, campaign finance report on, that had no action in a quarter, and now suddenly they're catching these people. You know, I So I, I think they're this is what they're doing. They're, they make it harder and harder for people to just they to just run when they when they have the itch. And instead, you you get this kind of high level corruption with a mail ballot fraud, where so they, they squeeze the bottom so fewer people are running, and then they they open the gates at the top. And I think to your point, they right now, as far as I know, there's no way they could possibly enforce a limit on how many ballots you could you could turn in because in order to do that, you'd have to know who's turning in ballots and they don't right. even know that they, they so, don't. I mean, that, that would be just, you don't even have to put a limit on it. Just let, make it public information who turned in these things. Uh, and I don't know how you would do that with all these mail drop boxes everywhere, but that would be the big thing. If they could just do that, then we could look at this and say, Hey, this one person turned in 3,000 pallets. Maybe that's right. somewhere we should look. I mean, that would be helpful. But they'll, they'll never touch that because that's the heart of their new corruption where they don't have to worry about being elected. They just have to worry about being the one who gets the benefit of the ballot harvesting. Folks, again, our segment politics this week. He is Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorrising.com. Justin, excellent job as always, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you, John. Propane Plus. Call them today, Heating and Cooling in Rhode Island, 401-885-4209 in Massachusetts, 508-252-3359 for Propane Plus. Three generations, you can always depend on Propane Plus for all your heating and cooling. Call them today, 401-885-4209. Three generations, they're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they're going to serve you for a very long time. They have a great user-friendly website. You just log on at propaneplus.com, and then you type in your zip code, residential, commercial, propane plus, heating and cooling, always there for you. Give them a call today in Rhode Island, 401-885-4209. In Massachusetts, 508-252-3359. The Johnson family, three generations, heating and cooling. You can always depend on propane plus. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Folks, joining us right now, boy, there's a lot of been news about UFOs, especially the testimony on the Hill. Joining us right now from the Hill is Daniel. And Daniel, I want to make sure I pronounce your last name correctly. Is it Devise? Devise. Devise. Okay. Daniel, it's the John DePietro Show. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Um, I find your story intriguing that... The, in the headline, the truth is out there. More Americans believe in UFOs. Yeah. Um, you know, I was inspired to write it, obviously, because uh, it's been in the news. Uh, the congressional hearings last week were, um, you know, kind of surreal. And I, I, I'm a data guy. I do demographic trends and just, you know, trend lines pointing up or pointing down. So I wanted to see if all of this, you know, federal interest in UFOs had moved the needle in terms of uh, people's belief in UFOs. And take us through um, exactly what you found. And, and I'm also curious, uh, <clears throat> Daniel, I agree, the hearings are extraordinary. You know, the, there's, 
it's definitely, I think there is a stigma attached to it because a lot of times in the past, a lot of the talks seem to be reserved for those, you know, Art Bell made uh, a career out of these people saying, you know, they were brought aboard a spaceship and so forth. But I'm curious how, if the numbers are moving or just uh, just w what the data suggests. Yeah, well, um, there's not a whole lot of longitudinal data on UFOs. It's not something that Gallup or like Pew Research follows decade after decade. But I did find a few snapshots that give you some sense. So there was a poll in uh, 1998 that said that about, or 1996, excuse me, that about 20% of people thought that UFO sightings were probably alien life. And then that number rose from about 20% to about 34% in 2022. And that was different polls taken by different organizations, but it does show a significantly larger share of the public sort of subscribing to the idea that all, that the sightings are evidence of something other than just people seeing military drones in the sky or whatever. And is it uh, broken out by maybe certain parts of the country? Um it's certainly something, you know, that is spotted more. You hear a lot of this, uh, I believe, a lot of times, you know, New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, uh, certain parts of the country as opposed to so much, maybe, say, the Northeast. Yeah, I, God, you know, I, I didn't find any disaggregated regional data. One thing that is a problem with, with surveys and polls, and you learn this the more you write about them, is that if you try to break it down into, like, age groups or regional groups or whatever, the numbers get to be too small. But what I did find is that, you know, I, I looked at a whole bunch of different surveys and a whole bunch of different polls, and it does look to me like, uh, you know, the, this this sort of wave of interest that began with, I think, a New York Times story in 2017 or 2018, uh, the, 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 the sort of revelation of the, the, the veritable secret government program, which sounds like an X-Files episode, um, that that prompted a definitely higher percentages of people being intrigued about UFOs, uh, thinking that the military reports of UFOs maybe prove something, right? Uh, or just that the, the pervasive feeling that the government knows more than it's telling us, which right. is that conspiracy theory, or maybe it's just sort of, uh, maybe healthy suspicion or skepticism of government, you know, but all of these numbers, I think, are are ticking upward. And all of the experts, I interviewed several of the big names in the field, they all agree that there seems to be some rising public sort of acknowledgement or acceptance of the idea that, you know, that maybe this stuff could possibly turn out to be real, you know. Folks, we're speaking with Daniel DeVise of The Hill, and the article that uh, he authored was The Truth is Out There, more Americans believe in UFOs. Daniel, I also wonder if because of now the amount of, um, you know, different, whether it's social media or just there's different spaces, uh, the way I would describe yeah. it, um, where people that do believe it want to find out more, discuss it. I think when you go back to the way the media was, you know, I, I, I would argue that whether it was ABC, you know, the big three or the New York Times, Washington Post, they weren't doing a lot of writings on this but now because of all the vast platforms where there are people that believe it want to discuss it um and and they're not you know dismissed as just kooks or people regarded as you know the woman that as i said the woman that sees elvis in the grocery store or the guy taken aboard the spaceship there's there seems to and i i wonder if you know it's almost become like a little more mainstream accepted and the person i also think of is Someone like an Elon Musk to me almost comes off as he kind of he almost makes it say, you know, it's OK to believe in this and talk about it. Well, there's a fascinating phenomenon in journalism, which is there's topics that are considered tabloid topics. Yes. And then there's topics that are considered mainstream. And so it, it was a watershed moment, for example. Uh, it has been a number of watershed moments when when issue topics like like Bill Cosby or Woody Allen, things like that have have crossed over from like the Inquirer and Star into the front pages of the New York Times and Washington Post. That's fascinating to watch. Yes. And here in this case, we saw no less than the New York Times kind of breaking the story of this government program, which is kind of a watershed moment. And although I will tell you that I was looking, watching the last few weeks as this hearing was approaching, my publication, The Hill, 
um, was writing more about it. I think that's because we had some op-eds we were publishing. So it wasn't our own reporters maybe covering it, but some op-eds talking about it. And they were getting huge readership. And the Times and the Post were doing nothing. And I noticed even when the actual hearing happened, uh, if you read the story, the coverage in the New York Times and Washington Post, it's kind of it's light. It's it's short. It's kind of almost you can feel there's some embarrassment sure. in them covering it. And they're kind of like tongue in cheek. And it's almost like you can tell it was painful for The New York Times to be covering this hearing. Um, and then if you, if you go overseas and look at the Daily Mail, The Guardian did much more kind of relaxed, fun articles because for them, it's not. It's Britain covering something in the States. So they don't really care. But the, yeah, it's fascinating watching the way the mainstream media handles this stuff because it was literally the province of the weekly world news when I was growing up. It wasn't something you'd ever see in the New York Times or in really – I guess Time Magazine could get away with doing a cover story, Are There Aliens? But they could do it as this huge science topic, you know. Sure. Yeah, uh, I've noticed that. You know what's interesting, Daniel, before I let you go is – so when I was in high school, I used to be a cashier at a grocery store, and I would watch the people – you know, very discreetly, all different types as they're, you know, they would be grabbing the inquirer almost as if they were getting a guide on what to do if you had VD type of thing. You know, they would slide it in with the groceries. But what's interesting where I don't think they get enough credit is, see, to me, a watershed moment was the OJ case. The inquirer actually broke a lot on the Simpson trial. Yeah. Um, and then to me, they were really the forerunner for TMZ to show you know, it, it, they would kind of cross over and they would have some unusual stories. But to me, the Inquirer, they, they kind of morphed into like a page six. And some of their stuff, it, it did. You'd find it then mainstream. And then you would see it on Entertainment Tonight. And, you know, I like everyone else would dis, disregard it. And my parents, you know, we were a two-paper family, meaning morning edition, afternoon. It wouldn't be allowed in the house. But... um. The Inquirer, you know, they they were kind of the forerunner on that. Folks, again, hey, Daniel, how can people uh, read this story and other uh, stories that you've written? Well, the Hill, the Hill has written a lot on this because okay. it's, it's a matter of literal policy now, right? So the Hill has a bunch of stories on the UFO issue. Um, my stuff is under the headline, yeah, the truth is out there from the X-Files. If you t- if you Google that phrase, uh, you'll, you'll probably find the, the piece. And uh, But there's a bunch of good stuff. Right, I'm looking literally right now. Our number one most popular story is a monumental UFO scandal is looming. So we are <laughs> diving right into this. <laughs> I think that is great. Daniel DeVizet of The Hill. Daniel, excellent job. We'll talk to you again. And thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Anytime. Thanks. Remember to follow The John DePietro Show on YouTube. It's John DePietro Show on YouTube. Subscribe, which means you get notified whenever we post new videos. You find original content, video you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe today. It's free. It's the YouTube channel of The John DePietro Show. The Coesed Inn, 226 Coesed Avenue, West Warwick, delicious food and drink they have a great bar area always a dependable menu whether you're going to eat there or take out a delicious meal is waiting for you at the coincident Inn. look for them online you can also find them on facebook whether it's lunch dinner or drinks in the lounge always a good time at the coincident Inn, 226 coincident avenue in west warwick Make sure to find the John DePietro Show Facebook page and you can watch all the action on the scene live stream. Follow it all real time live stream. Just follow John DePietro Show right there on the Facebook page.